0: Welcome to the Endoscope Podcast, where you read and hear new perspectives in the scope of different lenses. I am your host, Joshua M. Hicks, senior writer of War Media. Make sure to subscribe to War on Anchor, the home of the Endoscope Podcast, on all podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and the TuneIn app. And follow me on social media at that guy Josh Hicks on Instagram. And JHicks042 on Twitter. Also, make sure to check out the War Media site at wearereagoradio.com to get all the hottest and latest content on all things sports. Again, this is Joshua M. Hicks and welcome to the Indisco podcast. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the Endoscope Podcast. I am your host, Joshua M. Hicks, senior writer for War Media, and I have a very special guest here with me tonight. He is a former Washington Post writer, but also currently ESPN, uh, espncom slash undefeated writer, Michael A. Fletcher, uh, Mr. Fletcher. How is all well with? How's all everything going on with you?
1: Oh well, everything's good here, man. Things are good here in Baltimore. A little humid and hot but we're making it. I totally understand. A little, totally a little understand. COVID crazy, you know, <laughs> but, but hanging by a thread, at least.
0: Oh, I totally understand, man. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Really pre- I really appreciate it, especially you being a mentor of mine in this industry and um, eventually trying I to enjoy. get to that. Yeah, definitely. It, yeah, that's a pleasure for me. Most definitely. Um, we have a, obviously a ver- variation of topics to jump in, but first off, we just going to talk about the biggest thing that's really taken over the, the airwaves and the media um, from a topic perspective is obviously social justice. Um, COVID has obviously shut pretty much the whole country down. And as we're still trying to eventually slowly but surely get back into the swing of things, sports is one of those, top, uh, one of those industries that have been affected by COVID. But it also could have been for the better or for worse. Um, obviously, recently, as soon as, as we're currently recording this podcast um the big 10 the pac 12 big conferences that have been vocally coming out saying we're canceling fall sports and we're postponing those fall sports to the spring but even in a more professional setting like the nba um the nfl covid actually could have been a blessing in disguise just from a protesting perspective we have seen over the past few months nba players um that have been very vocal and not just being vocal but actually out in the trenches in the forefront of these marches protesting for social justice and change same saying brianna taylor's name justice for george floyd how much of an impact does covid now obviously negatively we know the impact that it has made but how much of a positive impact has COVID played specifically for these social justice um discussions these, um, and the actions behind those justice movements, like the marches that we've seen from athletes joining these protests?
1: You know, it's an interesting question, man. And I think you're right. You know, even though COVID, we can, we can go on forever listing the negative impacts, but I think the fact that the world has kind of slowed, right, in a way, and, and the interest of the world has narrowed, and it's focused in on, on some, some of this activism, with the murder of George Floyd, as you point out, you, know, you see Jalen Brown driving to Atlanta to, to, to lead a march. If the Celtics were in full swing, he couldn't do that. And we probably wouldn't even cover it the same way, even sports media, general media, because there'd be so many other things going on. But obviously COVID's a big story, but there hasn't been that much else. And, and obviously with the social justice thing, that I think is, has provided a focus. You see the NBA is back now. And, if, you know, where you look, even the commentators, sometimes it even feels forced, to be honest. Like the commentators are talking about, you know, say her name, you know, you know, um, education reform, what that may imply, you know, the various slogans on the backs of the jerseys. And I think it's the getting the kind of time and attention that it's deserved for so long. I worry a little bit that about the embrace, like it's such a wide embrace, and it's become like so many things in our country commercialize a little bit like you know when people say black lives matter you know and maybe i've just been around too long but i feel a little suspicious right i worry that do people really know what they're saying in the sense of like the deep implications they're in i mean i think people you know i want to believe the best people believe that on one level but do they understand okay if that really matters a lot has to change and i'm, I'm not sure that people quite grasp that there's a certain kind of you know, PR, corporate speak that goes on in this country. But nonetheless, it, it, you, know, it, you know, back to your question, if, if they were in COVID, I don't think you would have this focus. And I'm, You know, in a way, it's good to have this focus. NBA, WNBA players out front. They're the, I would say they're the number one group of, in terms of being, you know, woke. not just to like sort of messaging and talking about things, but actually doing stuff in the substance of what they do. I mean, I think they're, you know, they're the leaders of the package, if you will. But it's been, if there's a silver lining in COVID, it's been, I think it's given overdue attention to these issues.
0: You brought up a lot of good points and I'm eventually going to highlight. So okay. I appreciate that. But let's start with one of your first points as far as the NBA and their current um, roles within their forms of showing justice and su- showing support for the black community with, with obviously the jersey names. Black Lives Matter, having Black Lives Matter on the courts, um, Black Black Matters on the jerseys. I I actually want to highlight the point that you mentioned because, to me personally, even though I am supportive of the uniformed movement that they did with the Black Lives Matter education reform, peace, you know, right. putting some of those terms on the back of the jerseys. I also feel like the, that movement kind of got it diluted because of the fact that they didn't necessarily pick, let allow them to fully pick all of the potential names that they would have oh, worn right, on a jersey right. you
1: kind of have these pre-approved slogans right I mean right. And, and then slogans because these are real issues but you know it, it, but there's kind of a defined sort of universe of slogans that you you can wear in your jersey and and I'm with you I think that that says something there but to me I take it a step further I, I agree with LeBron on this like these issues to me are so profound and, and go so deep that you can't write on the back of my jersey at least like what I want to say you know, I might just put Fletcher in the back of my jersey and then talk about these issues, you know, when given an opportunity to, to in an interview. And even more than that, talking is one thing, because I think the message is out there. You have to do something, right? And you see what LeBron's doing about sort of voter education and voter turnout, you know, whatever it is, you know, his, his school. That's the kind of action that I think is required, because it's one thing to say, oh, I want to make, you know, I want to wake people up, I want people to know. But I think people do. I mean, who in America has not heard the phrase Black Lives Matter at this point? You know, it, it's a question of, okay, what am I going to do to put that slogan into action, to show the depth of my conviction about this? That's how I kind of look at that. So it's fine you write Black Lives Matter on the court. I mean, it's better it be there than not, I guess. But to me, it's kind of a, in a weird way, easy to do, particularly now because it's so kind of, you know, there's no edge to it now. It's kind of, the thing to do it's almost more controversial if you don't do it and I and I, and I worry a little bit about that
0: and that's a good point from the controversial aspect because that's why I asked about COVID because imagine if all this was still going on without COVID you, you, you may not get the same attention or honestly I think it'd be that much even more impactful because society's back up and running and when we have these type of issues than previously they've just gone swept under the rug it wasn't as much constant conversation as the, and, and constant debate, whether it's through regular conversation, whether it's through television, you know, things in radios and different outlets you can actually hear about these situations and let it stick to you. Right. right. So, I, so I wonder, even with that, even, even with, you know, the fact that COVID did obviously create the opportunity for us to do that, are we going to have that same whereabouts that save movement that same energy when society does get back up and running
1: man you know I hope we do and you know and it feels like it you know maybe just maybe there's a chance this time I mean as long as I've been around it this has been the most impactful social movement that I've seen since I've been an adult you know I, I was there I was at the million man march you know I've covered a lot of civil rights leaders you know uh, you know covered president obama the first african-american president but this sort of mobilization that you see right now and i think that, yeah i think all the sports are just kind of reflecting the broader society when it comes to this has been a sustained effort and i think your point about covid is right i think covid's kind of feeding that in a, a little bit but in a way that's the momentum you see I mean protesters are still out there in portland You know, Seattle, you know, you may agree or disagree. I know I agree and disagree with some of the tactics. I disagree with what happened in Chicago the other day, but it still shows you that, you know, there's this energy out there. There's there's this kind of unrest that I think COVID is feeding, but it also shows, I think, the level of concern um, that people have about what's happening. You see what's happening in the political arena. You see some of these um, Democratic um, primary results in the Congress, a couple of these old line Democrats are getting knocked off by you know, progressives. And you may or may, may not disagree, maybe you think they have the right way or the wrong way, but nonetheless, it shows a new energy that I think is being sustained. And whether that continue, I think it's gonna continue for a while, but this election is gonna say a lot too, the upcoming presidential election. Because I can only imagine how deflating it would be if the current president won re-election. You know, because, you know I think people would just kind of go nuts. It's funny, my wife, he was just watching, we're talking about Kamala Harris being picked as VP. And we're watching CNN as we're having dinner, and my wife said, turn on Fox and see what they're talking about. Just to get a sense of like what the deal's gonna be. Turn to Fox. They, were talking about Chicago, and they had these very sympathetic interviews of shop owners whose shops shops have been looted, and you know, you know, and they're, you know, not only did they have to deal with the CoVID shutdown now they're dealing with cleaning up for the second time from looting and this kind of stuff. and you know talking about crime out of control you know and that sort of thing and you know this element of reality not that crime's out of control but that okay these people have a story to tell and and it tells you what trump's playbook's gonna be in a a weird way so you wonder how all that's gonna you know come into the mix you know that's they quote some women who say i guess jesse jackson says something along the lines that he's ashamed of what happened and yet you know you have young people I don't care what Jesse says, you know, he's basically an old man kind of thing. And you wonder how all that's going to play out, you know, because you think about elections, are coming enough of them? No, it's the old folks who vote, you know, in in the biggest numbers. Hopefully young people come out. Maybe, like I'm saying, it's a different time and maybe that'll carry over. But I think there are a lot of open questions, right? And so if, but if all this momentum does carry over to the polls, if people aren't so disaffected that they say it doesn't matter, you know, If you vote, I mean, I'm still my one beef with Cap from 2016. Cap was like, you know, Trump, Hillary, all the same to me. I'm like, no, brother, (laughs) they're not the same, (laughs) you know. But so, this whole people are, you know, you're kind of more tuned in on that and more at some level, you have to become a little pragmatic about it. Like, this is your choice, you know what I mean? You have A and B or C, you gotta choose one. This because it's gonna be one of these three, it's gonna be A or B. So, you gotta choose. If you don't choose you basically as they say there's no such thing as not voting like you don't vote you're kind of voting so anyway i know i'm rambling for you joshua
0: no <laughs> <laughs> so, nah, it's all good information yeah. man and that's and that's the these are the, these are the type of discussions that we need to have so yeah. i'm all i'm all for i'm all for the rants and give us all the knowledge you can man <laughs> our, our audience needs it our audience needs it for sure but i'm gonna I'm bring this back to the nba and I'm going to talk about the actual protesting side of things because for, for, the, for the most part, the majority of players and coaches and staff actually have knelt during the National Anthem. But you do have a couple outsiders. Jonathan Isaac from the Orlando Magic did stand up. Myers Leonard from the Portland Trailblazers stood up, obviously for different reasons, and they explain those reasons later. But you can show that there was a sign of unity, but maybe doing things in a different way. My question to you would be, has has those specific decisions hurt the message that the NBA is trying to portray? Could it have hurt it? Did it impact it in in any way, shape, or form?
1: I think not, you know, because what I've read about Isaac and and Myers Leonard and even Coach Pop, you know, those people had the support of their kneeling teammates. They kind of made their feelings known. From what I understand, Myers Leonard has military family. they take a different view of kneeling, even though we all know the kneeling's not about disrespecting the military or anything like that. But he felt like, you know, hey, I got to stand up for you know because they do this, and you know, I think if I'm remembering right, maybe they, you know, some of his teammates embraced his legs. So I think there was this kind of communication and kind of an openness, which I think we're gonna need because we're not gonna all be in lockstep about everything. Because there's an argument to be made. Okay, so you kneel. Okay. Then you get them play a basketball game. You know what have you changed in the world? You know what I mean. You can you can argue about that. You know, kneeling is not is not the gesture that it was two years ago. You know, it's kind of the thing to do now. You know, so is it kind of a rote kind of deal, or is it really symbolic of you know of something else? So, so I don't think it. it I think it actually enhances their message because it shows a level of of tolerance and a level of. Um, of thoughtfulness I think that that every protest uh, movement
0: needs. Interesting point that you brought up about the, the, the symbolic the, the symbolism between kneeling because when cap did it it wasn't no it wasn't the norm that's what made the protest that much more profound because he did it when no one else was doing it and that's now right. everybody's saying we should take a knee we can right. talk about how historically the knee was actually part of the civil rights movement not mm-hmm. the king protested in need in, mm-hmm. in a sense to where it may not be in a football arena or in a sports arena to where it could be more notarized but he did knee and protest even at i believe even at the edmund pettus bridge when he was over there he pre- in, the, in the movie selma he prayed mm-hmm. a knee to god before he walked before he backtracked on that so the symbolism between the knee and protesting mm-hmm. i just think that because of the fact that people are now realizing that it's such a historic, symbolic gesture now when you want to get a certain message across that it also dilutes the formation of the protest. I think that plays a role in it as well.
1: And I think you're right. And I think every, like, every protest movement, I think there's an evolution, right? You know, Cap started this, at least in the sports arena. Obviously, Black Lives Matter was rolling before Cap melt, But nonetheless, he brought new life, new energy, and brought it into, kind of this, into the sports realm in a way that I think has changed sports forever. You know, we used to talk about activism in sports so it would be the one-off athlete who did this. But now most athletes are at least, if nothing more than mouthing a social message, they're doing that. And I argue that they're doing much more than mouthing it. But if that's the minimum, they're doing that. And 2014, who was talking about that. And we all love Michael Jordan, but we know, we know his story, right? You know, and... Um, you know and so things he changed things forever and the kneeling was big then but and it's good to see now in a way but another way i'm like well it's not it's not the sort of militant gesture that it was in 2016 certainly it's the mainstream message but it is breathtaking to look around the world and it's become kind of a global gesture you know and that that's something to behold i think but nonetheless you know i think now like back to that evolution like, you have to ask, well, what's next? What are we doing to really make the change we're talking about? And let's try to even understand the change that we're seeking. You know, it's one thing to say, oh, we want the knees off our necks. Well, let's get a little more specific. You know, what do we want to do? What we, what do we want our society to look like? You know, and let's try to push, you know, what are the mechanisms for making that happen? Who would elected officials if, you know, if we still believe in that? Who are most apt to, you know, stand up for that? You know, how are we going to support them? What's the meaning of democracy? I mean, it's not just I like, go oh, vote November 3rd. It's like my city councilman hears from me. Maybe I go down to city hall, it's a little inconvenient to go to a hearing if they're talking about doing something in my neighborhood that I don't like. You know, I mean, if it's something as simple as I don't want a stoplight on the corner because a kid got hit by a car two weeks ago, you got to, you know, there's a process. You know, you got to make that happen. And people need to have that awareness and need to feel that power because you actually, it, Besides, it it's there, you know, the power is there to be taken, you know, it's there to be, to be grabbed, you know. I, I remember I used to cover Kweisi and Infume, he's back in Congress now. And um, he was um, the Seventh District Congressman in Baltimore for a long time before Elijah Cummings took the seat. Then Elijah Cummings passed and Infume ran for the job again. He had gone off to become an NAACP leader and things like that. But he used to have this line in his speeches. You know, sometimes we're like beggars sitting on bags of gold. Sometimes you have to look around and see the resources you have, and figure out how do you tap those. And there's no greater resource than one another. Like if we could stand together as a community, and do stuff and decide what it is we're trying to do, and it's not going to be perfect you know unanimity. We're not going to all agree about everything, but we could agree about a lot of things. And you know, just you know, eight people in a room trying to do something is so much more powerful. It's like a, multiplier effect, you know, to one, you know, it's it's like eight to the eighth power, you know, it's really a, you know, it really has that kind of uh, exponential impact. And this is what I think that's the next step for our community, I would like to think. And a lot of people are doing that, they're going to be wrong, but you need almost sort of more of that. I, I know protest is exciting. In a way, it has the feel of cutting edge and all of that. But it's almost the, the more day to day kind of slog of governance and um, making change that really is going to change lives and that's what we have to get to and, and come to understand and make people feel empowered that they can make it happen and that's the thing that people don't feel they feel like it doesn't matter because it, if you look around in their lives it, it's a it feels apparent that it doesn't matter but it really isn't true i mean it's there you got but you have to you know you kind of have to grab that power and make it work
0: Everybody listening right now, you are tuning in to ESPN's The Undefeated, Michael A. Fletcher. Um, Mike, you highlighted a little bit about how the WNBA has been very vocal and very big advocates of social change. And, and you very much argue they could be doing more uh, being, from an impactful perspective than other, any other league in the, in the professional realm. And, I mean, they're, they're, like you said, they're, they've been very bold. They walked off the court. <laughs> they're the national anthem. They right. came to the game saying, "Vote for Reverend, uh, what's his name from Atlanta, Reverend uh, Raphael Warnock, who That's is right against the
1: owner of their own team, the Atlanta Dream." That's
0: exactly. right. Exactly. Exactly. Right. So, yeah. how has go more in depth as far as the WNBA's antics when it comes to protesting, and more specifically with the the, the Atlanta Dream's owner who you know, they come out against the WNBA and basically said black lives don't matter, at least the movement doesn't. Um, how, how do you think they should handle that? I
1: mean, I, mean, I think the sisters of the and, and the women, not just the black women, the women in the WNBA have stood, again, it's that power of unity. They've stood together against that. Like the owner um, of, of the Dream, a part owner, I mean, she's a US senator, very rich woman from, from Georgia. Okay, you know, she's rich, that's fine, you know she feels like she feels like Black Lives Matter is kind of unamerican. And you've heard these talking points before, right? Because, you know, you go to the charter, there's some things like Black, Life, Black Lives Matter charter about the nuclear family and about capitalism, you know, things that people may disagree with. But on the ground, we know what that movement means. Like Black Lives Matter is just what those words mean. So the owner of the dream of the part owner says, no, you know, this isn't, this isn't cool. You know, we should have an American flag. You know, we should stand up for the principles of America. And she has a right. I mean, that's her view, right? But the, the women of her team, like, as you pointed out, they, you know, they, didn't, they, didn't, they weren't cowed by that. You know, they stood up to her. You said, about voting for her opponent. You know, that had to drive her nuts. And they did it in a way that was, I think, you know, in some way, respectful but strong. And and it had a substantive point to it. And and what could you say? Because it wasn't like they were out of order in the sense of, oh, we're going to just call each other names or be whatever, you know, be like how social media can be, like I'm going to whatever, you know, I'm going to just insult you. But let's let's actually bring some substance to the table. And you see the power of that because from what I've read, nothing's happened to those players. I mean, maybe I've missed something, but they kind of did it and it is moving on, right? So – so I'm
0: proud of those ladies. Yeah, and I think we have to give more credit to the people that actually run these leagues, that are in charge of these leagues. Adam Silver, um, of the NBA, he is a uh, He's very much a player's owner. He's a he's he's, uh, he's someone that advocates for the players and for the athletes. So for him to work with the athletes to make sure they they produce this campaigning, these campaigns that they've been doing, especially along with the WNBA. You have to give them major props and credit for that. And compared to franchises like in the NFL, where the NFL is a completely different story, you have ownership that doesn't always support those antics. And we know that from Colin Kaepernick's uh, story. So, I
1: and what a point. And, and what's interesting is the NFL does a lot of stuff, but it doesn't seem to, like, accrue to much. Like, I mean, they've put a lot of money into some social justice uh, Organizations. I mean, it's up to like a quarter billion dollars, which, you know, that's a nice chunk of change for an entertainment group, which is essentially what the NFL is. But I think your point is, is, is the key one. Like, the, the NBA has this kind of a image. It's more than an image. The reality is they have kind of a working relationship with the players. They see the players as partners in, in the league. And the NFL is more of a hierarchy. It's a top-down situation you know roger goodell you know people say he's a decent guy but it doesn't really control the owners and the owners a lot of them are very conservative we know we know we know about some of these guys big donors to at least trump's inauguration some to trump's campaign you know so it's a different dynamic i think between the players and the owners i mean nba you know you're talking about kneeling nba actually had a rule like you're supposed to stand during the national anthem right you know, NFL didn't have that rule, you know, and it's funny, but, but the image is so, is so different. And I think a lot of it has to do with just what you said, like the, the 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 sense of partnership does not flow from the NFL. It's like that word owner, you know, when they had that movement, like not to use that word owner, I kind of chuckle because they do own a team, but I get it in the sense that NFL owners try to act like they actually own you, you know what I mean? And uh I mean that's the that's what they can bet. Now obviously they don't. They're paying you big money to play football, but they have a different um, kind of working relationship with their workforce.
0: And as we let's continue conversations about the NFL. I mean, I I wrote an article that I read and I know I shared with you about Jay Z and his role within the NFL. Um yeah. From my understanding of the whole situation, that the NFL hired Jay Z to help bridge that gap between society, African-Americans in the NFL and their social justice ni- initiatives, as well as obviously doing other stuff like the entertainment for the, for the Super Bowl and things, and things of that sort. But watching all this, all these events transpire since Kaepernick all the way up until now, um, mm-hmm. like you said, they, they put their money where their mouth is as far as supporting other social justice in- initiatives and charities, but transferring onto events that may occur on the field hasn't always been applicable so i asked jay-z what's the next steps because you have been hired to basically help represent not just uh, the african americans and, and players in the nfl but society as a whole that watched the nfl and have criticized the nfl's leadership for their lack of diversity their lack of understanding to work with athletes and, ha- and the handling of those situations i asked them what's next in your opinion what is the next step the NFL that should take? Regardless, especially if they really protest this year, which a lot of athletes have been provocative and very outspoken in saying that they will be protesting during the season.
1: I know. I mean, <laughs> that's a great question. I mean, because what has Jay-Z done? It feels like this whole relationship that was sort of a uh, hatched between Jay-Z and the NFL, it, it fell off the rails. right at their opening press conference when it was announced. Uh, And JV, Jay-Z's words, and, you know, and while you can agree with them factually, they just, they were a little tone deaf, you know. We've moved beyond kneeling. We need to move on to actionable items. You know, I actually agree with that in a factual way, but that wasn't the moment to say that, particularly as Colin Kaepernick, the man who started this movement, the man who, if without him, you would not be sitting next to Roger Goodell, you know, talking about, and let's talk about this other thing, this weird kind of hybrid. You do entertainment and you do social justice. Like, what? <laughs> you, know, you know, it feels like two things to be you know, like, those are different, different trains running, right? You know, but, you know, Kaepernick being, let's call it, let's call it what it is, black ball from the league. How do you say that? And I get it. Jay Z said, well, you know what? Kaepernick took the settlement. You know, it doesn't look like he wants to play. And then later on, with, the, with that abortive tryout, a lot of people said Jay-Z was the one who was responsible for making that, you know, making that happen. And I don't want to knock Jay-Z here because he's done a lot through his life. And I mean, he's used a celebrity in a good way through the years. And I think he's sincere. He really wanted to do, I mean, he wants to move to the substance, right? He wants to do, okay, what's next with Jay-Z is I'd like to see actual improvement. I want to see a change in the law in Pennsylvania, so you won't have another Meek Mill on probation forever. You know, you know. I want to see, you know, we've seen in this country over the last ten years the incarceration rates going down just a little bit. I want to see that accelerate and go down more. At the same time, I want our communities to be safe. All the things we all want, you know. So I think Jay Z wants that, but how do you achieve that? I mean, it's through the NFL. I mean, NFL is just NFL. I Mr. Mean, huge is the biggest sports. You know, uh, enterprise in the country, but it's still just the NFL. It's not the U.S. government, you know, and even the U.S. government, you know, can't make all of that happen. But Jay Z, I think, like I said, it just kind of ran off the rails at the beginning, in my view. It's hard to tell, you know, what's going on now to inspire change. And and the NFL, from what I understand, I mean, the, the guys in the Players' Coalition, they were already working with the league, so you could almost ask yourself, well, why? What was Jay Z doing? And that's almost a third wheel on this. Sort of NFL social enterprise bus, and it's hard to maneuver with three wheels. So, you know, we'll see what happens. But it's a you, you, you're. I think you're onto something there because that's a good question. I think everyone's well-intended. Let me me just reiterate that. I mean, like, you know, I want to say it again. Jay Z's done a lot. You mean in other venues, but this it just seems tough because you feel like the NFL's move was really a PR move. They're looking to get this guy, this guy, this global figure, this entertainment mogul to Sort of give them cover and help. You know, maybe people will forget that they yeah, are blackball. You yeah, know, we blackball kind of happening. You know, you, you. Know, that's kind of what they went for. But and they spent a bunch of money, but it's kind of backfiring. You know, it's they're still perceived the way they're perceived. And and I think in the long run, I mean, they're doing well, still making a bunch of money and everything. But I think a younger generation is coming up that may not embrace the NFL the way my generation did, and even people younger than me. You know, I think it's they can see the future is kind of leaning toward the NBA and I think they want to, you know, they want that sort of shine of kind of being hip and with it and um, and really being on the right side of history. That's what it boils down to.
0: Now that's true, but we also know that, like you mentioned before, the NFL is pretty much like a PR game with them and pretty much everything socially conscious when it comes to social consciousness within American society, they always have to, always have somehow to play a PR game. I mean, another situation that, Came up aside from obviously the justice of George Floyd situation and things of that sort, was Deshaun Jackson's anti Semitic comments. I mean, Deshaun Jackson speaking out obviously in regards to his uh, comments made by uh, Minister uh, Lou Farrakhan, um, Minister of the Islamic uh, Community. And that blew up even more, not just because of the fact that he said it, but Steven Jackson, who was a former NBA player and it's literally one of the main faces of this, ju- this justice movement with George Floyd backs him up. And it caused a whole um, discussion and almost a divide in fighting for, against what Deshaun Jackson's comments were saying, but also remaining focused on the true message, which was quite frankly, you know, fighting for social justice, again, the social justice for George Floyd. You, you, as of of recent, wrote a column on the Sashon Jackson's comments, and there's an interesting point, as I pull it up here, that you briefly mentioned that I kind of want to read real briefly, if you don't mind. You um, basically said, Farrakhan's Nation of Islam is widely admired across Black America for its 90-year track record of of lifting up and cleaning up Black Lives Matter and its emphasis on Black self-help. Many African-Americans look past Farrakhan's frequent forays into mind-bending conspiracy theories and his long history of anti-Semitism to focus on what they see as his core message. That has long been a sore point in Black Jewish relations. Through the years, a series of Black leaders have attempted to force partnerships with Farrakhan in the hope of tapping into his broad grassroots appeal and were criticized for minimizing or ignoring his anti-Semitism rather than acknowledging it for what it is. Go more in depth as far as what you meant by that statement and how it applies to Deshaun Jackson's comments against, you know, at that point, even though it wasn't he wasn't trying to make it degrading, but at the same time, sort of degrading comments towards the Jewish community.
1: Yeah, because you know Deshaun Jackson, as people remember, posted some track that was allegedly it turned out it wasn't a Hitler quote, but it was he thought it was a Hitler quote. And I can't remember what it says as I sit here now, but it was basically an anti-Semitic thing, and trying to say it was not an anti-Semitic. You know, it was like almost self-evidently that. And then, sort of as an aside, mentioned on the Fourth of July weekend, Farrakhan had given a speech, I think, up in Michigan, as Michigan State, and you know, sort of an annual speech that um, that Farrakhan does. And talked about how the ministers speak in truth. And you know, I'm someone who's fi- followed Farrakhan for years. You know, I remember the first time I saw Farrakhan, it was. I was a teenager living in New York City. Don't forget, we're in this place, Rochdale Village, man. We're out there playing basketball. And they said, somehow, some brothers came out and said, he's speaking inside the community center. I went to see him speak, and it was, you know, Farrakhan, I don't know if you've ever been to a speech, like two, two and a half hours of, you know, sort of mesmerizing speech. And and there's so many good points that Farrakhan kind of makes. And and the thing that I think so many brothers and sisters find appealing feeling is, he, you know, he's talking about, like a little bit of what I was talking about earlier, like, except he could do it so much more effectively. Like, we have a lot of power as a people. If we, you know, unity, if we stick together, a lot. there's a lot we can do to lift ourselves up. But then he'll sprinkle in, like, you know, sort of like conspiracy theories and stuff that I think most people maybe are not with it. You know what I mean? And, and, there's, and, and there's a whole theology of the Nation of Islam, which, you know, it's like a lot of theologies. Like, you have to just believe it or you don't. It's hard, you can't prove it because it's not scientific. And I guess you believe it or you don't. You know, so you know, so Farrakhan has had this kind of dual thing. Like he's been, you know, again and the Jewish community has gone after him because because he goes after them, you know, and, and they're very organized and they and they go after him. But at the same time, you can't disregard Farrakhan because he has his pulse, I think, on the community. I mean he knows he has an appeal to sort of everyday black folk. And the Nation of Islam it has been like that for a long, long time. So, you know, with Deshaun sort of embracing what Farrakhan said, and some of the stuff he said was, I don't think it was really, I mean, I don't know what people think, but he was saying, for example, I prayed for, you know, COVID to be, you know, Florida to become like a, a center of the COVID outbreak and things like that, people are like, I'm like, what? I think people are like, what? But people kind of, you know, they pushed that aside to focus on, you know, as I wrote there, his core message. And that's going on with Farrakhan forever. I mean, this Million Man March, I covered that in 1995. Literally, you know, at least a million people on the Washington Mall at the time, one of the largest mass gatherings in D.C. history. Before it happened, a lot of elected officials, Black elected officials, I mean, were saying, oh, this is going to be a mess, it's going to be all this violence, it's going to be, you know, just crazy. It was anything but. It was the most orderly, sort of dignified day on the Mall that I can remember. When, When that rally was over that day, the mall. I don't think there was a cigarette butt in the grass. I mean, stuff was. It was just like disciplined and orderly, and you know, and, and it had a lot of speakers and all of that. And people left. More importantly, you know, black men left there saying, "Yeah, I'm going to go home to my community and try to make a difference." Now we can argue about, well, did it really? How long did that feeling last, or whatever? But it, it was clearly a positive message there. And among the people at the Million Man March was pre-presidential, you know, Barack Obama, right? He'd come from Chicago to go to the march. And, and that kind of, I think, sort of exemplifies Farrakhan's reach. Yeah, people like Obama, could, you know, looked at him and said, he has something going on. Clarence Thomas, Supreme Court Justice, has spoken well of Farrakhan in the past, you know, before he was on the high court. But, you know, he kind of said, yeah, this brother has something going on. So there's this kind of dilemma that Farrakhan presents that I think, you know, Deshaun Jackson brought up. I mean, he's on one hand saying this brother's speaking the truth, you know, but like when you do that in a context, if you're not selective about that, then you're like, you mean he's speaking the truth about Florida? <laughs> Is he speaking the truth about, you know, whatever, you know, Jewish people that like Stephen Jackson j- jumps in and say the Jews own all the banks. And these are anti-Semitic tropes that are just, you know, I think are damaging. Because a lot of people, if you can't get a bank loan and you're left to believe that all the Jewish people own the banks, what are you going to think about Jewish people? You know, you, and if you look at the actual history of the civil rights movement, you know, out of all the communities, who was the biggest ally of the African American community? I would say it was the Jewish community. So he doesn't say that. You know, so that's where, I think that's where the tension is and that's that's where the problem lies. But if you can't, I'll never be one to just say, and I'm, I probably guilty of it too, I, I'm not going to just throw all of Farrakhan's message out because there's so much truth in there. But you have to pick and choose. And I think you have to call out what's not right. I mean, and there's some things that aren't right, because you know what, I don't want somebody talking about African Americans that way, or in, in, in sort of a stereotypical way, because I, I would find that hurtful and insulting and something that I would hope people speak out against. And particularly in this moment we're in now, you know, you want people to stand up for justice, we have to all stand up for justice. So yeah. I know that's what you're going for, Joshua, but that's, that's
0: it. No, I mean, that, that's perfectly fine. But I also yeah. believe that at the end of the day, if you're going to call the spade a spade, put the right justification and the right punishment or consequence that goes along involved with you put, putting that spade out. And, I, mm-hmm. and, and where I'm going with this is because Deshaun Jackson got a suspension. Obviously, the team handled the suspension. Um, I yeah. forgot exactly what it was, but he got suspended for his comments. Okay, we understand that. But a guy like uh, – I think his name was Ridley Cooper, who used to be Hell, the – Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. He, he yeah.
0: called players the N-word he used to the word. N-word. Yeah. yeah and he only got yeah. one day of practice so
1: yeah i can't remember how that went, cause I telling he got a little morning but whatever it was yeah i mean that's something yeah at you know, that point i wouldn't argue if that if those are the facts you're absolutely right i mean that's wrong I mean, it doesn't make the other thing right but that would be wrong right you know what right. i mean that's wrong too right you know no i'm absolutely right with you there and that's what stephen jackson was trying to say but in the process of saying that he dragged some the stuff into it, too, right? I mean, when Steven Jackson kind of left to, you know, to, to Sean Jackson's defense. And me, you know, I'm like, I hate writing this, you know why? Because as a football fan, I love Deshaun Jackson, right? You know, <laughs> and, uh, you know, something about how quick he is, and, you know, I, I just always enjoyed watching him play. And I just felt like he was kind of in a place where, it, in some ways, he didn't even understand what he was saying, because he, he was literally pointing to anti-Semitic things, saying, I'm not an anti-Semite. But I'm like, here's this Hitler quote, and, except a statement of Hitler quote. But, you know, it, it's just kind of just kind of a bizarre situation. It, it's probably one of the perils of social media. You needed to just not be not be speaking to the world at that point, you know. And, you know, but you're right. I mean, I think there's there's a power in the Jewish community too that, you know, that that people see. You know what I mean? So, but you want everything to be handled equally. If someone's going to use the N word, there should be punishment for that too. No one was going to. I,
0: no, I wouldn't argue with that. <laughs> all I ask is that the NFL moving forward, please get it right. <laughs> That's all I ask the NFL. Please get it right and make sure equal justice, even from a consequences perspective, goes along the way. Um, currently on the line right now, we have ESPN's Michael A. Fletcher. Um, transition to this topic for me, Mathur Maker, who is a t- top 20 recruit, yeah. Uh, he chose Howard University and mm-hmm. he's the first top recruit to eventually join an HBCU uh, commit in uh, school but then you have also other HBCU news where, you, where we talked about earlier Senator Kamala Harris just took yeah. the nominated as vice president right. and she's the first black Asian American to do so and on top of that uh, on top of that, the first of other things first HBCU grad to do that. Um, the first black woman to like well, American age woman to do that, first sorority, a uh, part of the AKA the sorority. AKA, right? right. So um, as the son of an AKA, I know my mother's extremely excited <laughs> about the situation, but talk about how these paths, these new movements, these new trends of um of black empowerment, especially black women empowerment how it plays a role in not just politics, but sports as well. Um, and, and talk about how those connections can play a big role in creating an advancement for the African American community, not just in entertainment, but in the overall society.
1: I mean, I, I think it gets back to the point I was trying to make before about sort of supporting our own, right? If we have some institutions, we don't have a lot of power in this society, granted, but we have some power. And, Damn, like if we can't control basketball, I mean, you know, come on. I mean, we, you know, we, we, this is a game basketball, football, our dom is our sports dominated by African American athletes. And seeing McCurry Maker go to Howard, not, you know, I worry that he's not gonna have a chance to play because of COVID. This is what I'm really worried about. I hope I'm wrong, but you know, you see how things are lining up. You you wonder, you know, if he plays it, they probably won't be fans, but let's just hope for the best. But seeing him go there, the kind of money he can bring into Howard University, you know, TV revenue, that kind of thing, is, you know, would just be phenomenal. I think from his perspective, the experience of being on a campus with, you know, majority, you know, vast majority of black students, people who, you know, presumably are going to have more of a relationship with you than you're just a star athlete. Like, they're going to be, you know, just into your head and we're just more like, oh, you're McCure, what's going on, What's, what's happening tomorrow, not just... You're just, you know, just as the big star, you know, it, yeah, like you might be at UCLA or, you know, you know, name the Power Five school. I mean, I think that's powerful. And, when, and young people who see that, particularly if McCrory is successful, it won't be a big risk for them to go to a Howard or go to a North Carolina A and T, go to a North Carolina Central, go to a Florida A and M, because you know, I mean, what, is Florida A really not a better school than say Ball State or you know or just name a lot of these types of top schools. Maybe the very top schools, you can argue, well, okay, they have all these facilities and stuff? But there are a lot of schools that are cut below, say, the Dukes and the Michigan State. Still, so, you know, a lot of brothers talented, top players are going to. And you gotta wonder, are they really getting more out of the Steel than they would get out of it if they had gone to an HBCU? And they have the, their presence at HBCU, can draw revenue, sort of build pride. You see how winning programs um, build, for any school build the number of uh, people who apply that creates money for a university and it just becomes cyclical look at clemson where, where is it clemson right somewhere name the town somewhere in south carolina and but that place you know, they win some national championships in football and it's like a huge you know it's a huge phenomenon right people want to go to clemson from all over the country because they see clemson playing football you know come bowl season and you could do the same in basketball. You could do the same in football too. it's harder. And so that's part of it. And then if you see Kamala Harris, Howard University, hey, yeah, she's on, you know, Democratic presidential ticket. That takes away that whatever, if that's in people's heads, like somehow Howard is less than. How could Howard be less than if this sister went to Howard and listened to her talk, listen to her hold her own in the political arena? You know, that it doesn't even become an issue anymore. No one's even thinking about that. There's that pride. Like you said, your mom's proud. Shoot. My wife's not even a sorority. She's proud. She was asking me, yeah, Delta, A.K. I can't remember. <laughs> I, <think so. laughs> you know, I mean, it's, just, it's, it's infectious. You know what I mean? And I think, um, you know, Hey, you know, I have granddaughter now, like, you know, I mean, it's cliche, I should say, but it's great to see her, you know, be able to look up and say, "Wow, you know, that woman I see on TV—she may not even recognize, you know, realize who she is. She's so young, but there's this is black woman who seems important on TV—and that—that's empowering. And um, to know, and later she went, that lady went to an HBCU, and I think, you know, it, it builds kind of a, a self-esteem and a pride, and a, um, and also builds revenue and sort of real kind of power for us. We can, and it's there, that's what I'm talking about. We have that. We have that in our clutches. We just need to bring it together.
0: I I think it's important that, um, obviously, you have these big trailblazers, um, like Mathura Maker and Kamala Harris are really becoming for the Black or the African-American community. I think it's also important for professional athletes to also continue to encourage and empower those people within those trailblazers and encourage others to join that path. A prime example is Chris Paul, because Chris Paul has been wearing HBCU gear and shoes, game shoes, the whole time he's been in the bubble. And he's really putting a lot of lot of plug to at least HBCU schools that not many people across the country really pay attention to. I
1: know, I know. He had some shoes. I was like, who are the Rams, man? Like, there was, like, someone in school, I can't remember. Listen, uh, I can't remember Alabama a and Somebody was like, I couldn't identify the school, you know I mean? He's been wearing, you know, HBCU swag like every game, which, and again, that, and it's a simple gesture, right? But Chris Paul is a, we're all, all the sports fans are watching this stuff from the bubble. Millions of people are seeing him do that and that has to help. I mean, it's not gonna make all the difference in the world, but it certainly helps a lot, you know, it helps. It moves us in the right direction. And so can you imagine being a student at one of those schools, you know, you feel a little, you know, you get a little, you know, bouncing your step, you know, because how often do you get that kind of shine? So, I mean, and, and it's those simple things and it, it's almost, it's basic community stuff, like right? this is ours, like right? this is our community. This is not knocking somebody else or taking away from whatever, Duke or what. this is building ours, you know, and that's how you get stuff done that's how first of all, that's how people respect you at the end of the day cuz you know you have yours you don't have to answer to somebody you do it your way you know and as long as you have produced good results who's going to be in a position to criticize so so I'm all for that I, you know I love seeing it and it's I'm glad I can see you can see through the years finally athletes this activism has become kind of part of the mainstream of pro sports and I don't think it'll ever change you know and these brothers they have the smarts they have some money, they have some independence, and they're putting it to good use. I'm glad to see them doing that. We, you know, I used to be like in the old days, I used to read stories about cats or someone robbed their locker at $200,000 worth of jewelry. I'm like, how do you have $200,000 worth of jewelry? You know, and, uh, but it's nice to know that you know, people are like, doing stuff that I think is gonna help, help the broader community.
0: Do you actually believe that we're in a time now where if you are a superstar athlete, and no matter what sport you play, you have a legit obligation to promote your promote to promote your community, especially if you are part of the minority community or that, more specifically, as us Black brothers talking, African American community. Do they have an obligation to utilize their platform to help create the social change and the social justice they want to see within their community? Is it an obligation now? You, you know, you know, I almost
1: hesitate to say obligation, but I think almost yeah, you know, almost yes. I mean, far, you know, far be it for me. Like, you know, people are gonna live their lives the way they see fit. But I think, I think there's there, there is kind of a responsibility to do that because they have so much, man. And it's because the community supports them that I think that it really is the right thing to give something back. And and it's not that hard to give back. And when you have that kind of platform, you can do it pretty easily and have an outsized kind of impact. I would love to hear these brothers talking more about voting you know talking more just about just community building and, and um and supporting one another and uh just some basic stuff man that that young people i think would be um be enlightened to you know, sort of hear you know talk about how we could help you know sort of build our communities help one another it's not you know rather than being rivals of one another all the time. Let's, let's stand together and, and kind of what, how beautiful that would be, how powerful that will be. I mean, you know, back to Farrakhan, Fire, Farrakhan Fire kind of talks about that. That's why people stick with them, even through some of the other stuff, which may be more controversial, or they might not even agree with, because he's talking about this stuff. And I think people are hungry for that kind of message. I think, you know you see, that's why, there were a million people at the Million Man March, or more, or maybe it's a million and a half. You know, you, that's Farrakhan could pack, you know, the United Center, he packed, he's used to pack Madison Square Garden when I lived in New York. You know, and, it, you know, it's, I think it's that part of his message and I think it, our community really wants that and if, and athletes have kind of a platform and, and again, I, you know, like I guess I don't want to say it's their obligation but it's, it's a responsibility i love to see them step up to and increasingly they are. I mean, like I said, to me, the epitome of it is LeBron James, like probably the most popular athlete and certainly in the NBA maybe in, like top two or three in all the sport, right? And I mean that brother for a brother, I mean it doesn't even matter. Like you almost forget the brother didn't go to grad school, the brother didn't go to undergrad school. But he has a brilliance about him and the way he handles himself and the way the way he thinks about stuff and the and the faith he seems to have in himself. And even what he's doing with his friends in terms of building businesses, you know, with uh Rich Paul and, you know, who's his other boy? the guy is uh I forget his name. But Bass you know water. Yeah, math, right, exactly, you know, and uh, how could you not respect that, you know, so I mean, I think that becomes a template for people, and you see a lot of young athletes, I think, who look up to that, and they want to emulate that, so I'm thinking you're going to see a lot more of that.
0: Oh, most definitely, like you mentioned LeBron James, I mean, he's even playing a role in the voting aspect, he got a, he got a campaign, more, more, more than a vote. That's I mean, right. So he's, he's, he's putting where his mouth is and you have players like Dwayne Wade and Carmelo Anthony, Chris Paul, that came together to put together a social justice fund to help bring, give back to the uh, communities and help really help promote social justice change. We, I, I just hope that more athletes continue to follow those same paths to give right. back to the communities, especially us as black males, as black males and black leaders of this country. Um, I think it, that's really empowerful. Real quick, one final thing I have to ask you because I did write a piece on this as well. It's a little old, but it's still relevant because of the fact that, you know, Mathor Maker finally did make his, trans- he's making his transition to the HBCU world, which is something that's unheard of. I actually advocated and believe um, one person that really should consider doing this is LeBron James' son, Bronny. Now, yeah. Bronny's in the same class as Mikey Williams and those guys, and I want to say, in the class of 2023 three don't know for sure so don't quote me on that um he was just
1: a freshman right so it'd be whatever yeah. that is right? so 20 yeah i think yeah, it's i think it's three
0: yeah yeah i think yeah. it's i think that's the same class but they're in the same class as mikey williams and those guys and he's mathura maker talked about how he wants to get other recruits like mikey and those type of recruits to go to howard or at least go to the hbcu route so that way he could continue really being a trailblazer for this trend that we all know is necessary within the African-American community. I think Bronny James will be a perfect candidate for that because, you know, you already got the black history, black background from his dad being such a huge supporter of HBCUs and a huge advocate and trailblazer and activist and icon really for the African-American community as a whole. So he's already socially conscious. He already has the history and support of, of his dad and him going to an HBCU would change the revenue game completely just because he is the son of LeBron James. And on top of that, he can create his own legacy. Um, he can create his own legacy within HBCU because that's what HBCU schools provide is the opportunity for you to be yourself and create your own path through, ac- af- through African-American uh, ways of academics. And Ronnie James, I believe can really change that, that demographic by, being a guy, the son of, a, of arguably the top three best player in the uh, history many um, have, and to see what he's done and to create his own legacy throughout his own way and his own path, what other way would you be on to do it as a top recruit to go to an HBCU? I just think that would be an ideal situation for him. What are your thoughts on that idea?
1: Man, I, I'm with you on that one 100%, man. Could you imagine, I don't know, I think North Carolina Central already offered Bronny James, right? right? So right. Could you imagine, like, I don't know, some you know Christmas tournament, North Carolina Central, Bronny James, you know, I guess it's a two-guard or whatever. You know, who's sitting at mid-court watching that? His dad, right? LeBron James is there cheering his son on. and Maybe Dwayne Ray is there to lend some support or whoever else. I mean, that would be huge. Whether or not Bronny James becomes a fraction of the player of his dad, just the fact of who he is that name and, and sort of it would represent would, would be a game changer for HBCUs. And maybe he'll do it. I mean, knowing LeBron James, who knows? You know, unless Brian e. James proves to be like a guy who doesn't have to go to college to play pro ball, but he may or may not be that guy. I don't know. It's hard to tell from his freshman year. But if he goes to college to play basketball, I, I would put it 50-50 chance he ends up at an HBCU right now. And, and it could be even greater than that. And that would be I mean everything you just described, Joshua. That would be it, and then some. And you're talking about being like knocking down the doors and setting the trend and creating a template for other people. That would be what would happen there. I think you'd see a lot of people going there, and it would just become the norm. Not that guys wouldn't still go to Duke or go still go to UCLA. You'll get your share of guys going to, you know, HBCUs. You know, I mean, to me, why couldn't why shouldn't Howard be as good as Georgetown basketball? You know, VC, Why is VCU better than? Howard in basketball. I mean, why? You know, I, I just can never understand that. You know, so we, why you can see Loyola Chicago
0: to the Final Four? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. yeah right. You know, a nice curve and everything, but come on. <laughs> <You> know, <so. laughs> no, that, that's that's truth, man. That's truth, man. Uh, where can everybody find you on social media? I know you gotta have social you know you, I know you have that yeah, you know, media.
1: you know, I'm such an old man. I do have
0: social <laughs> media though.
1: But um, yeah, it's at Fletch Post on Twitter, you know. That's my main vehicle, you know, and I'm on Facebook like an old person. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I would just lurk on Instagram. I don't post anything, I just lurk, you know, and follow people and stuff. But at Fletch Post is my main vehicle. That's where I post all my stories and you know, and retweet things that uh, that I find
0: interesting. What What you got coming up next?
1: Oh, uh, actually, a piece about um, Jay-Z and the NFL.
0: Wow.
1: I'm send you that when it's done. It's going to be a couple of weeks. Yeah, you kind of put that on my mind, I have to tell you. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> we're trying to pull something together now, yeah.
0: Okay, well, I appreciate it. It's a well, tough, one. A tough one.
1: Like, trying to deal with... Um, NFL and trying to deal with Rock Nation, man. It's like trying to get stuff out of CIA. <laughs> <We'll see. laughs>
0: right. I hear you, but I, yeah, yeah. I but for you to, to hear that I helped inspire you to write this, that yeah. really means a lot to me, especially as you being a mentor in the industry. So yeah. I really appreciate that. I can't wait to read it because I know you're going to kill it. And for the audience, obviously he's going to share it with me, but I will share it with you all when that article comes out. And you can follow me on Twitter at jhicks042 and on Instagram at that guy Josh Hicks for more of not just my postings but what this guy right here Michael Fletcher is willing to share with us um, regarding that regarding uh, regarding that story and all things future that he's writing with the undefeated at ESPN and with that being said Michael I really appreciate you coming on the podcast thank you love to have you come on anytime. And I can't wait to see what you got uh, going on moving forward. And and eventually, we're going to link up. I'm going to come to D.C. Oh, yeah, man.
1: We're gonna oh link definitely, up. man. It's COVID's over, man. I, I, yeah, I usually get around the country, man, but I haven't been anywhere in I don't know how many months. It's getting crazy. My wife's sick of me. She needs me to get out of the house. So,
0: I feel yeah. you, man. Whenever you can, wherever it is, we're definitely going to link up for sure.
1: Yeah, no no question, brother. I've enjoyed it, Joshua. It's great,
0: man. Oh, thank you, man. Appreciate you. And we'll talk soon. All right, sounds good, take care.